huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Welcome to the It's About the Money Stupid Podcast. I'm Scott Moss here with Paul Simmendinger. Hi, Paul. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good. We're doing this without AJ. EJ, so um, there are a couple of ramifications to that. First is that... Um, we don't have the intro music here. Sorry if you were expecting that lovely music at the start because I am not the tech whiz that EJ is. I'm lucky we managed to get going on this. Um, so, well, that's the main. And the other is that as we're talking, we're only about 80% sure I know how to do this. So we may just be having a nice conversation. It may or may not be a podcast, but I guess if you heard this, it means we succeeded. So hooray for that. So the big news you probably all heard is that just five hours ago, the Yankees made the Sunny Gray trade. So, Paul, I know you, you know, uh, were pulling for this. Were you, were you able to be or forced to be just staring at a screen all day, clicking refresh or checking notifications like I was? Well, I can't say that because I was at work, of course. But, you know, to be <laughs> honest with you, while I was working, yes, I had Twitter up. And I had um, MLB trade rumors up, and I had Bleacher Report up, and um, my uh, my son was was only a phone call away. He's a big Yankees fan. Uh, his name is Ethan, and he was also checking. And so we were we were on top of this thing the whole way. Yeah, so it was just a slow work day for the first half day for me too, while I was uh, you know unable to focus on much anything else. So we just all to say just I would have been really annoyed if the cost of my workday ended up coming to nothing with no trade but hey the trade happened so first things first Paul what do you think okay um and everybody anybody's free to also check out the post I put it up probably just a few moments ago um I love it and I love it for a variety of reasons I uh Sony Gray is young he's good he's a top of the rotation pitcher he makes us better this year but the beautiful thing uh, about this is he makes us better in the future as well. I think we've all been looking forward to 2018 and 2019, thinking that's when this thing's all going to gel. But he makes us a competitor and, and, and uh, uh, if not the favorite, a uh, strong candidate to make the postseason and to play deep into the postseason this year, which is really what being a Yankee fan is all about. So, so I'm thrilled. Yeah, and the comments on the blog were overwhelmingly positive. Uh, one comment by Phil C. was, quote, shocking that Oakland took two pagers that are recovering from major surgeries. I like that one. Uh, Fuster responded, not really so, sh so shocking. It's only because Caprillian had surgery that accounts for his availability. And that's, I would guess, probably true for Fowler, too. Um, Prof. Robert said, quote, Caprillian and Fowler are unknowns at this point, coming back from injuries. Mateo looks really good at Trenton, but you have to give a lot to get a lot. So this is the proverbial trade that helps both teams. Uh, the only mixed note was longtime fan, who, that's his username, liked the trade, would have preferred giving up Floreal over Fowler, because an A-ball player like Floreal is a lottery ticket while Fowler is big league ready. But the Yankees' outfield depth, he thought, made either okay to trade for someone as good as Gray. I'll add also that I totally agree with you on the trade. 
I think it's underappreciated that, yeah, the Yankees can throw money at free agency, but, you know, uh, folks listening, Paul and I were joking that we are, I think, the two oldest of the podcasting team. We figured out just at the start, just before we went on the air, that we both went to our first Yankee game in early spring 1977. <laughs> so do the math from there. Um, and we've been through the bad old days of the 80s when I think the lesson of a lot of the free agent signings is that when you sign a free agent, it's going to be who's good. It's going to be a six year deal. And it's going to be for someone who's 30 plus or minus some years. So you're going to get that player, the star for maybe the first two years, then years three and four, they'll be average. And there'll be a mix of people panicking and saying, oh, he'll return to form. Except he really won't because years five and six will stink. So when you sign a free agent, you're mortgaging the future a little bit always. And they always end up dead weight by the end of the contract. Some sooner than others like Ellsbury. Others like Sabathia have a second life or amble through at least adequately to the end. But that's to say that the best case scenario for getting a star is you get just two and a half years of him in his mid-late 20s. And you get him for below market and you're not obligated to pay him through his 30s. So I think it's underappreciated maybe how much better it is to get Sonny Gray on this deal than even a slightly better free agent on a free agent contract in a couple months. I would agree wholeheartedly. And and again, they got Sonny Gray, who's who's still under team control for, I think, the rest of this year and then two more seasons. Yep. So, you know, those Yankees of the 80s and uh, the late 70s, what they would do, and, 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 and again, there were different rules about compensations and when you sign a free agent and things like that, but they would always just worry about today and they wouldn't think long term. And, and even into the uh, early 2000s, um, you know, they were picking up guys, Sheffield and things like that, that they weren't worrying about the draft pick ramifications and the fact that they were going to be dealing with the last years of their careers when, when they're not going to be as effective. What this trade is, is it's trading future assets that, yeah, I think we're all uh, have high potential and we're all very good. But for something, for somebody who's going to help us now, that's the old model, but the new part of the model is who's also going to help us in the future. So, so they're not really mortgaging the future to when they make this trade. They're actually improving the immediate and the immediate future. Totally agree. And, you know, the interesting question to me is I was surprised at the reluctance to give up Floreal in that um, Mateo seems to me to have overall a combination of ceiling and doing well at a higher level, um, a higher status in my mind than Floriel. And I might have liked keeping Fowler or Floriel, but they resisted mightily giving up Floriel and sticking up Fowler. Uh, where do you come down on that, if you have a view? All right. So, you know what? After all these years, I, I do have to say that I, I am a Cashman believer and I have to feel that he knows a lot of the intricacies of these things better than, than any of us. And so I, the, the cop-out answer is I'm, I'm going to say that if he was that high on uh, Floreal, that there's got to be a reason for that. Um, I also think Fowler is also, even though these guys are all young and future guys, right now there's no room in the outfield for him. But when Floreal's ready in two or three years, there might be room. If the Yankees don't go out and get Bryce Harper and Clint Frazier is who he is supposed to be, and Aaron Judge is who he is supposed to be, there might be an uh, option for um, for uh, Floreal to become the center fielder to complement that as you perpetuate this winning tradition that we're hoping uh, setting the stage for right now. Yeah, totally agree. I feel about the same way about 
trusting them a little bit about Florial over Fowler, even though on the numbers I would have preferred to keep Fowler. But um, I trust the scouting and feel like you have to actually believe the scouting and the team's knowledge of these guys more for certain positions than others. And here's why. Um, ceiling rather than reliability matters so much more for outfield than for, say, starting pitching. Because let's say you have a guy who's, you know, really likely to hit 275 with 15 home runs. That's great, but that's really replaceable if you're an outfielder, maybe a little less over center field. But I feel like you need to go by ceiling for an outfielder because there's so many top hitters and amazing fielders in the outfield. So, you know, for that reason, Floria looks like, given all the love for him and how well he's doing it so young, even at A, he seems like the comparison between him and Fowler is ceiling versus reliability. Fowler is really likely to be a Major League Baseball player. Floriel may have a higher ceiling in just raw skills, you see, and here reported, but we're not sure. Um, and especially Fowler, you know, that knee injury, I started Googling what is that knee injury after it happened. And, you know, there's some guys who haven't fully recovered from it. I mean, it ripped the whole tendon that attaches your kneecap. So if Fowler loses even 5% of his speed, he's just not a center fielder anymore. And then that bad in left or right field, or if he's a weaker fielding center fielder, is not as great. So, so I'll plead a little agnostic as to Florio v. Fowler, even though I was surprised by it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, to the draft pool point, I was stunned that the A's threw in $1.5 million in draft pool money. You get a sense that was some weird make it right uh, way to even it out at the end. But the Yankees, as, as we saw two years ago, I think it was, they completely blew past their budget. I think they like fanning out around the world and throwing massive resources at scouting and their limits. But if you collect draft pool money from the Orioles, as they did, from the A's, they can beat people out for prospects. So it's almost like that $1.5 goes to getting them incrementally more likely to land another prospect to replace these guys. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I wonder if that's also not... Uh designed to maybe help them. Maybe they know something we don't know about Otani coming over from Japan. Yeah, that'd be entertaining. And, you know, so that's, um, it seems like there's unabashed agreement about everybody here on the prospects. You know, there's some folks saying that, boy, Fowler looked like he was ready. And Mateo, depending on your optimism, pessimism, if you feel like he recovered the top prospect status, maybe he's as good as Glyber Torres, whom they refuse to give up. But, you know, my take on the package is, yes, you have to give value to get Gray. I think it was less than you would have expected. Because after all, the question is, what's the fair haul in prospects for a Gray? Well, look at what the Yankees got in prospect haul for Chapman and Miller last year. Chapman was a closer. Miller was a closer. Chapman had only the remainder of the year left. Two-month rental. Miller had one year and two months. So two months or one year and two months of a reliever is worth much, much less than two and a third years of Sonny Gray. Yet Chapman and Miller fetched Torres for Chapman, Frazier for Miller, and then they also had valuable throw-ins like Adam Warren and Justice Sheffield, Billy McKinney. So I feel like if you're looking at market value, the Yankees got a lot more in prospects for a much less valuable asset a reliever, not starter, who has much less control than Gray. So this seems like they, you know, when the Yankees sold last year, they got a ton. When they bought this year, they didn't give up as much of a ton. So this is kind of, I feel like, a stunning ability to, you know, leverage your assets, right, by Cashman. Oh, I, I, I'm i just in in, in uh, 
impressed beyond words because, again, I'm looking at the uh, top 100 uh, Yankees prospects, and number one is Torres. Again, we just got him in that deal last summer. And then number two is Clint Frazier. And then number five is Justice Sheffield. So these guys that are the core of our high minor leagues and, and our future are the ones they got last year. And they didn't have to give any of them up, again, as you say, to get a better asset in a starting pitcher who we have longer term under control. Yeah, and looking like at... Yeah, and looking at where the Yankees have needs, I mean, they have a glutted outfield and a glutted middle infield, which is impressive. So where are they going to have holes? Well, third base is still kind of a hole. And starting pitching is a hole for all teams in the majors because no teams have five really good starters, right? Even if you have a great one through three, if you trade for a Gray or Darvish, he replaces your number five. So the Yankees' holes are third base and starting pitcher. So what do they keep? Well, they didn't give up Torres, who might be a third baseman just by need. They didn't give up Miguel Andujar, also in their top 10. And they didn't give up any of their really top pitching prospects. I mean, Caprillian could be a top prospect, but they didn't give up Chance Adams and Sheffield, who were basically their top five pitching prospects. They didn't give up the other pitchers in the top 10, Domingo Acevedo and Albert Abreu, who, although at high A and AA, they're the 100-mile-per-hour arms, and they're, of course, a risk, but the way you deal with that risk is you keep multiple guys like that, and you hope one of them makes it out of Sheffield, Acevedo, Abreu, Dylan Tate. You know, they get up Clarkin and Caprillian, and Clarkin was barely a top 20 guy, um, and they gave up here Caprillian, who was a bit more of a lottery ticket, low minors, elbow surgery, so I feel like they kept their top arms and the positions where they need guys, which is important. I agree with you again wholeheartedly. And... You know, I, I've written a lot and I've mentioned a lot of these podcasts. I'm a big fan of uh, Andujar. I think Andujar is going to be the guy. I, I I know there's not a whole lot of love for him. I mean, he is number seven, but a lot of people still have doubts. You know what? If, if the Yankees, when they were tanking back in June, one of my thoughts that I talked about was, um, well, listen, if they're not going to compete this year, let's bring him up and just let him get a year under his belt. But uh, at this point, now that they're competing, let him stay down there and... Uh, compete next spring because I think he's got the bat already that uh, everything says that he can hit. It's just a matter of learning the defense. Yeah, you know, I feel a lot about Andrew Hart like I did about Dustin Fowler. Ignore the Fowler injury and that he was traded. There's certain guys who, I don't know if their ceiling is super duper star, but they do everything right and they have every skill to some degree. Those guys are just extremely likely to perform in the majors. So Andrew Hart strikes out at very low rates he has a little power and great contact. His defense, I don't know a lot about it, but seems basically okay. Um, better on avoiding errors than range, maybe. But this is a guy that you contrast it with, say, Clint Frazier. A better prospect, to be sure, but there's some chance that Clint Frazier is going to have a life of hitting 230 because he strikes out a lot. He's drawn almost no walks in the bigs. I'm a big booster of Frazier. I'm not saying that's likely, but there's always some chance a guy like that gets exposed with the one big hole in his game that he'll have to close out later. Um, a guy like Fowler or here Andujar, you know, a guy who's capable of hitting 312 with a little power and not striking out a triple A, if you plopped him in the majors, oh, sorry, he's hitting 330 with some power and not striking out a triple A. So this is a guy who's not going to hit less than 270 with, I don't know, 10, 12 home runs. Which is to say he's already capable of doing a decent Chase Headley year with somewhat more of a ceiling as anybody has. So, yeah, I'm really glad they didn't give him up because even though 
Um, they gave up better prospects. They need Andujar next year. I think it's really likely Andujar is your starting third baseman next spring. I, I believe so as well, if not Torres. Right, right, right. But I, Torres, think, I, mean, I think Torres will spend some time in the minor leagues because he uh, lost this year. Yeah, he's he's he lost this year. It's hard to know what to do with a Tommy John to your non-throwing elbow. It's such a weird, weird injury. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but... You know, you come back on the one end sooner than the one-year timeline for a pitcher or, say, a shortstop who throws a lot, who needs to throw with that arm. But fine, you don't need to throw with that arm, but you still need to swing. You snap your elbow some and you swing. So it's hard to know how 100% ready he'll be with a little rust, with a tender elbow. Or, you know, I actually had my arm in a splint due to a broken hand a couple months ago, I am not a professional athlete or even a, you know, quality athlete. But the level of atrophy that sinks in after even I just had six to eight weeks in a splint. Granted, I'm literally double um, uh, Torres's age, but, you know, it's just commonly known after two months in a splint and hell of longer with uh, Tommy John, you're going to have some serious atrophy. And it's not just a matter of hitting the gym and building it up. It's a matter of also making sure you've stabilized, you know, you may have only your elbow and lower and forearm in the splint, but you haven't used that shoulder much. Your shoulder's going to atrophy too. So it's all by way of saying that I don't know that Torres is going to be so 100% ready and he's still young. So yeah, I think they put him back in the minors for at least a little bit. And then, you know, meanwhile, you give Andrew a shot at keeping the job and you figure what to do. If Torres looks definitely ready, then buy Starlin Castro and he's your second baseman. Oh, correct. I mean, it, that would be a beautiful problem to have. Speaking of nice problems, okay, so moving on, what's the rotation now? The Daily News headline from an hour ago. This is really just fast-breaking stuff. The headline is, Rookie Jordan Montgomery appears to be odd man out of Yankees rotation after Sonny Gray trade. That's the headline. And the money quote is, Brian Cashman said both Gray and Garcia were brought in to be starters, and Joe Girardi doesn't want to go with a six-man rotation. So process of elimination here. If Gray and Garcia are both starters, that means you're kicking out someone who's a starter. It ain't Tanaka, <laughs> and you can keep going down. It looks like Montgomery. So um, agree, and do you think that's a good thing, or are you now upset about Gray taking Montgomery's spot? Wow. Now, that's a tough one because um, we've got to see what Garcia brings to the table. I, I've been high on uh, Montgomery. I think he's had a great year. I, I He's had some blips because he's a rookie, and that happens. I know the Yankees look very closely at innings limits and things like that. And, you know, as we get into the dog days of August, which is really starting tomorrow, we've got August begins tomorrow. So um, the dog days are only a couple of weeks away. It might be time for them that he's already reached his innings limit anyway. So the fact that they're just going to use him in a different role to help keep him strong for next year, if that's what the thought behind it is, I don't have any problem with it. Secondly, uh, and we all know how starting pitchers break down all the time, and, and we have these concerns about having too many starting pitching until all of a sudden you don't have enough starting pitching, right? So all of a sudden Jordan Montgomery might be right back in the starting rotation because of whoever getting hurt. Or Agree. It's almost unheard of for a team's sixth starter out of spring training not to get some starts in the season because pitchers break down. Often the seventh and eighth starters break down. You know, you hear about these competitions for the fifth starter role, and I always – Laugh because the guy who's the sixth starter just means he'll get fewer wait a while. Because after all, you wouldn't have picked your starts going to Luis Sessa and then to, you know, all the other assortment of folks they've had to give starts to. And um, I think it makes some sense to demote Montgomery. I hope it's the bullpen, not AAA. Here's why. His 
he was drafted 2014. I don't know his exact innings limit, but in 2015 and 2016, his innings totals were in the 130s. So this is not a guy who is ever going to be in the rotation all year for 33 starts plus the postseason starting. So I guess that would add up to 220 starts innings or so really quickly, over 200. So given that they were going to have to end it soon, you know, he was going to end his time in the rotation soon. Or what the Rockies have been doing, they're my other team, their rotation, the Rockies, has four rookies and a second-year starter for most of the year. So a lot of these guys have innings limits. So what Bud Black, their manager's done is he'll rotate some guys out. So suddenly Kyle Freeland, rookie, after almost pitching a no-hitter into the ninth, he was out of the rotation for two weeks. Now he's back. And some other guy, Antonio Sensatella, out of the rotation for two weeks. Then he's back. They're trying to ration innings with these guys. So if you wanted Montgomery to be a postseason starter, you'd probably have to demote him to the bullpen for a while. But I don't think he is because here are the Yankees' top four starters now. Severino, Gray, Tanaka, Sabathia. Those are the top four. I don't think, if people stay healthy, I don't think Garcia or Montgomery is a postseason starter. Granted, as you absolutely note, anybody can get hurt. Um, but I don't think these guys were going to be postseason starters anyway. So it's just a question of whether Montgomery goes in the bullpen. And frankly, the Yankees have a deep bullpen, but Montgomery is better than, uh, you know, Caleb Smith or Sessor, whoever's the dregs of the bullpen as a long man. So, you know, you put Garcia in the rotation right now, put Montgomery in the bullpen. It saves Montgomery's arm. He's a better long man than, you know, Sessa or Caleb. I could barely remember Caleb Smith's name. I'm trying to forget. Um you know, so I think it's uh, the right move, probably, even though Montgomery, you feel a little bad. But, you know, he'll be back. He has a great future for them. Absolutely. And when you're young and, and, and it's your first year in the big leagues, it, this is what happens. I mean, it happens to veterans. Uh, we, we were talking last year and the year before people were saying what about doing it with uh, CC Sabathia because he wasn't he wasn't doing as well as he is this year or at the second half of last year. And they're thinking maybe he's only got an inning or two or three at a time in him and he could be devastating. And um you know, when the postseason comes and, and you need that big lefty coming out of the pen, that might just be a great role for him. Yeah, you know, there was criticism of the quick hook on. It was Sabathia is one of the guys he had a quick hook with a couple days ago. I forget the game exactly, but this is something that Girardi would never admit. But if you think you're going to be in the postseason and Sabathia is one of your top four starters, so he'll probably start in the postseason. You know, airing on the side of some quick hooks with him to give him almost half a day off with only a three-inning or four-inning start. If there's a day when he's not on, you know, keeping Sabathia below, as far below 200 innings for as long as he can is good. And you see that with Sabathia, which is that he has 17 starts, only 93 innings. He's not going super deep, but that's probably about right because... Even if Sabathia only pitches 170 innings in the season, he quickly gets a 200 in the postseason. I don't know if that knee has 200 innings in it. So, yeah, I think you try to keep him down as much as possible. I, Girardi would never admit that one factor with a quick hook is innings limits because that makes it sound like he's saying Sabathia is damaged or not a tough guy or whatever. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's thinking, you know, any starter with CC doesn't seem to have it. I'm yanking him early. I have a deep pen. And that increases the odds Sabathia can be 100% in October. I agree with that entirely. That, 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 these are the kind of things that we don't know as fans and, and people who analyze it. Um, what really is going on in Joe Girardi's head and Brian Cashman's head as they, as they map this stuff out. And right, if you're saving your bullets for September and October, uh, a stretch drive or the playoffs themselves... You don't want to waste those bullets in a game where the guy doesn't have it in late July and mid-August. It just and, and 
to be honest, it makes a lot of sense to save those bullets for when they're going to be needed more. Yeah, you know, it's one cost of being on the bubble of the they're leading in the wild card, but not by a ton. And they're a bunch of guys on their heels and they're in a dogfight for the division. They can't quite afford to do things like I forget the names, but the Dodgers and Houston, there's some hints that they might be soft DLing guys, meaning that. You know, if a guy's a little off and could hit an innings limit, let's DL him for a while and give him sort of a send him on a carnival cruise with Mickey Mouse or something. But the Yankees can't quite do that. But you know, the borderlines erring on the side of not stretching Sabathia into the seventh every in outing is probably right. So one other aspect of getting them to be as good a playoff team as they can is there's some Greg Bird news. Uh, the quote from one report is: Bird is feeling much better after his surgery. He is expected to have his stitches out on Tuesday. He thinks he will need to hit and field for a few days before going on rehab. Could be back with the Yankees in mid-late August. Um, any thoughts on, you know, optimism, pessimism about Bird? Whether they maybe need him less now that they have Headley and Frazier rotating a bit? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, listen, Greg Bird, that's part of the whole the whole dream of the future. Is he's, he's manning first base and he's the guy. And, you know, we all got excited in spring training when he was just on everything. And then, obviously, there was some injury that was making him lose his balance and lose his ability to to hit the ball. I mean, watching him those first couple of weeks was just it was it was painful how how he was missing by so much. So, I mean, if Greg Bird is Greg Bird and he could come back, I think Headley's done a phenomenal job since moving to first base. He had another big hit tonight. Um, but uh, you know, Greg Bird is your future, and if we could, I, I would almost let him finish out the minor league season. And, and let him come back. So get a good couple of weeks under yourself down there and come back when the rosters expand so you don't have to get rid of anybody when you bring him up in case he doesn't have it again. Yeah, totally agree. Now, the I'm pretty sure I'm right about how this roster machination works, but normally a guy you don't call up till September roster expansion is not postseason eligible. But if a guy like Bird was on the DL and is called up September 3rd, just being activated from the DL, he's eligible for the postseason because he never really left active duty with the team. So what they can't do is start a rehab stint in early August that has to run its course in, I think, 20 days. I forget the number. So then he'd have to be called up or not. And if you send them down, then he's not eligible. So they'll have to, you know, finesse it so that they don't start the rehab stint too soon and then have to call him up maybe before he's ready. But... I think they really need to do everything to get him back because, look, I give Cashman all the credit in the world for the whole bottom feed by keeping Chris Carter hanging and then getting the scrubs you can get for free like G-Man Choi and Garrett Cooper. And now Frazier and Headley look like a solid combo. And, hey, maybe Headley will hit better when his back doesn't have to hold up to the rigors of third base. Like you're saying, he could be getting a second life there. Um, that said, Frazier and Headley are sort of average-ish hitters, right? They're not guys that, if Greg Bird is healthy, you keep um, on the field at the risk of benching Bird, especially with Holiday looking like he may be gassed or at least isn't a guy you can't bench. So if Greg Bird is back, he improves the team and you got to do everything possible to see if he can be ready for the playoffs. And then if he comes back, great. You rotate 
Frazier, Headley, and Holiday through third base and DH, and you give Bird a day off here and there because he could be low on stamina or whatnot. Um, I think you got to hope. Um, I'm out of the business of predicting whether Greg Bird will come back or not. Um, but, you know, you just got to hope so because you feel bad for him and it's definitely hurt the team, him being out with this. What looked like at first he had an owie in his foot and it turned out to be a congenital defect that made the owie worse and had to be surgically repaired. So I don't know that there's even any playbook for how long it takes Uh-oh, to come back you. from this. So, yeah, so that's the Greg Bird update. It's news, but it's not something that makes us really confident in predicting anything so you know so be it so um you know what's kind of tech glitches uh, we may have lost paul so uh but we're about at the end of what we're gonna say it's been uh just under a half hour and we just put this up as an emergency podcast to give you the latest on sunny gray uh happily it's all just you know race guys are gonna clear up put on a happy face sorry i tried i made it through almost a half hour without a crappy gray pun so my bad. Anyhow, thanks for listening. This has been your It's About the Money podcast. Uh, I'll just say goodbye for Paul. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Share us with your friends. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a regular podcast. We called this one episode 99A, not episode 100, just because EJ, who does most of the hard work of actually <laughs> compiling and uh, teching up this thing, getting it, you know, uploaded and spliced and everything is out so we didn't want to deprive him of being here for episode 100 we'll try to bring back some of the regulars for that uh, so we call this 99a um also because you know we weren't sure of my tech ability to do this but we'll be back with episode 100 we may or may not try to do something special i don't know that we've thought through what special is but we'll be back then so have a good weekend happy sunny gray day and we'll see you next week
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.